Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. Firefly Willows L-I-V-E presents... What's your prescription for balance? Featuring your host, Dr. Glenna Calder. Good morning or afternoon, depending on which side of the continent you are on. Welcome to Watch Your Prescription for Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Glenna Calder, here on the East Coast in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Today, I'm thrilled to have Katerina Reed, birth doula, on the show, who is an expert on the life cycle from birth, life, death, and rebirth. Katerina is a certified as a donor birth doula, a Lamaze educator, birthing from within mentor, and an archetypal consultant. Have you ever wished you were more comfortable with the process of dying so that you could have less fear of your own death and that you're better able to support others through their transition? Welcome to the show, Katerina. Are you there? Hi, Glenna. Hi. How are you doing, Katerina? I'm well, thank you. I'm very excited to be here today with you. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Katerina is from Lower Sackville, Nova Scotia, also on the East Coast, and only about a 20- or 30-minute drive from where I am. I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about this topic that can be difficult for many of us to discuss. Katerina, my first question for you would be how you became interested in the birthing process and in helping families have a more natural and fulfilling experience during pregnancy, even preconception, through birthing and post-birth? That's a question I have been asked over and over. Uh, Everywhere I go, I'm asked that question. Uh, Each time I'm asked, I feel like another layer comes off. I feel like I'm peeling an onion, and I go deeper and deeper to the root of my passion. So I've always been fascinated by physical birth. I grew up on a farm in a small rural community, and I was exposed to birth from a very young age. And at that time, I had no idea that birth would become my passion and consume my life at every level. So in my 20s, I worked on a birth unit as an LPN, and I loved supporting women in birth. It felt natural to me that there was nothing about the process that frightened me. I simply utilized all the skills that I'd seen my father use while supporting the animals in birth. And I didn't realize how valuable those things were until I started practicing them. So so things like low light, um, keeping the room calm and the woman calm, uh, having it quiet, using a low voice, using encouraging words, giving unconditional love, kindness, respect, and a deep trust in the body to know what to do. I soon discovered that when I was in that calm, trusting state myself, I could intuitively connect to what my patients needed and could support them not only physically but at a much deeper level with great compassion. 
So when I was in labor with my daughter, I was in a room with a young girl, and she was only 16. And she was so scared, and she had no one with her at all. And so in between my own contractions, I would comfort her and support her. And she gave birth before I did, and I can still to this day hear her screaming. And I can remember thinking at the time, it doesn't have to be this way. Birth doesn't have to be like this. And today, when I'm on the birth unit and I hear women screaming, it, uh, the same feelings are evoked in me. And I just it boggles my mind to how we can be all these years later, and this is still happening when it doesn't have to. It just doesn't have to be this way. And then being a mother taught me that there was so much more to the birth process than just physically birthing a baby. I realized that pregnancy and birth are an important part of preparation to be a mother. I had a very difficult transition to motherhood myself, and I didn't know that the transition to motherhood was one of the biggest transitions that I as a woman would ever make. I didn't know that the transition to mother and how I experienced it would impact the rest of my life and how I made other important transitions in my life. My own personal experience was a catalyst for my own healing journey, and my passion for birth is rooted deeply in my own healing. I can no longer separate physical birth from life. I'm a visionary. I see the life continuum and how pregnancy, labor, birth, and the transition to motherhood impacts that continuum. So when you're working with women as a birth doula, is that one of your goals during the before they get into labor is to help them process and to think about their own feelings towards motherhood? Definitely. Definitely. Because it impacts the way a mother gives birth. If she's given some thought to the process and can see it as a process that is on a continuum versus physical birth just being separate from the rest of life, which is how it's taught in our culture and how it's viewed in our North American culture. It's like I just have to get pregnant, have the baby, and then it's over with. But that they don't see it as part of a process that where every part of the process impacts the next part. We tend to leave less, interfere less with animals' labor than we do with humans. Definitely. I think because we trust animals to be able to know how to do it themselves, whereas we don't trust humans to do that because I don't think we believe that the human body can do these things. Whereas an animal, we don't, unless we're a veterinarian or have a lot of experience with animals, we don't know how they birth. We don't even know how their babies are born unless we've seen it. And so we tend not to interfere because we don't really know, know anything about it. Katerina, do you feel the process of birthing is connected to the process of dying? Oh, yes, definitely. And I think because of my experience as a child growing up on a farm, I've always been able to see the connection in both of those processes. So in my childhood, just as uh, birth was a big part of my life, so was death, because I saw animals die in birth. Um, in nature, um, in the wild animals, as well as in the farm animals. So I witnessed uh, death and birth, and I witnessed death outside of birth because of growing up on a farm. So even though I was sad, in essence, uh, I could see that it was a birth, that I could see that that death was a birth. And as I grew up and left home and left the farm, I was influenced by society's beliefs around death, but I always had that connection to my earlier experience in life. 
so at present, I see the connection um, at a level that I haven't been able to see it before because this year I was blessed to support a dear friend through her death process. And I know without a doubt that my experience in birth and my early connection to birth and death enabled me to be able to support her in a way that I never knew I could possibly do. Also, the reason that I believe that there's such a connection between the two processes is because one of the most compassionate, understanding, and supportive nurses that I've ever worked with in birth didn't have any experience with birthing women. She spent the previous 10 years working in palliative care, and she taught me things about the birth process that I haven't read in a book or I haven't been taught in a class. So what I learned is is that our response to birth as a society is um, very different than death. We tend to think of birth as a joyous occasion, a celebration of new life. And for many birthing women, it's not a joyous time. It's a time of great fear, a great time of feeling that they're powerless. It's it's a time when they may not have anything good to share about their experience, and yet they're under tremendous pressure to be happy because this is a joyous time. And our culture believes that if we have a healthy mom and healthy baby, then that's what's most important. But my question is, is it really? Is that really what's most important? So I feel like we do women a great disservice. We tend to focus on the new baby, and the mother is shut out. She's not supported in the continuation of her process. And for people who are dying, they're not supported in their process because we can't deal with our feelings around death. So in essence, we do the same thing to birthing women as we do to those that are dying. We try to make the process bearable by avoiding the process itself. By simply dealing with the physical, we think that we can just put everything else aside. So process is of the feminine archetype. And when we can't deal with the unknown of the feminine and we feel we can't control it, we drug it. And we drug it so that the process becomes comfortable so that we can bear it. But who are we really making it comfortable for? That's, you know, that's the question I always ask. Are we making ourselves comfortable or are we really supporting these people in their process? It's how important it is for us, whether we're a healthcare worker or a friend or a relative, to check in with ourselves and know that are we maybe suggesting medications or drugs to be sure that we're doing it for their benefit and not because we're uncomfortable with them being in discomfort, but make sure that it's for them, whether it's in birth or dying. Exactly. Yes, because not everybody wants to be out of their process. Do you feel like this is improving, that women are getting braver to ask more questions or to to feel more powerful through their pregnancy and their delivery? That's a really difficult question for me to answer because the women that I work with, definitely, but then I go into the community and I hear such horrific stories of how powerless women feel. And I work with a very small percentage of the population. And so, you know, if I look at what I'm hearing, I would have to say no. And yet in my work, I feel like, oh my gosh, I can see so much change. So that's really difficult because I don't, you know, I don't have the the broad spectrum. But when you look at um, like the birth surveys that they do, you'll see that a lot of women feel powerless in birth. So 
I guess that would answer your question. So do you feel that when you look back at your practice 10 years ago, with the small population you do have, do you feel there's a, there's been a significant change? I see a change. I see more and more women coming to me wanting to stand in their power and to face their fears. And I see more openness from other care providers in the community to support women in that process. But it's a small percentage of women. It's women that are actively looking for that. Right. We've talked about the connection between birth and death. How do you define the cycle of life? Uh, I see the cycle of life as birth, life, death, rebirth. And I see it as a never-ending cycle. And we're in this cycle continuously. And the reason I say that is is because we're always birthing parts of ourselves, And we're living. We're living those parts that we birth, and then we're letting them go to birth another aspect of self. And we see this. I mean, babies grow and change all the time. They're continually having to let go on a daily basis. And when they're very little, like newborn, I'm sure it's on an hourly basis that they're going through change. But as we get older and as we mature, um, we get influenced by society, and so then we become less comfortable with that process but children are quite comfortable in that process because they're just being and it's a process that's all around us i mean the prime example are the seasons we see that i mean right now we're just in fall and we've seen the tremendous change and we don't honor that natural cycle that is there because it is about change and that we are in a constant state of change and the masculine archetype which is dominant in our culture, is not comfortable with change. And if we look at it, we can't even age gracefully in our culture. We resist the natural processes when we can't control them. So it's all about control. And we can't, you know, when we can't control those natural processes, then there's fear. The seasons are a beautiful example of that. And I think that I know myself, I forget how mysterious it is in my four-year-old has been asking me a lot about why the leaves are changing, why the, the colors are changing, and what happens to the tree during the winter. So it's made me appreciate how marvelous it is. In September, it feels like such a change. Everybody gets a little bit refreshed, renewed, and then it happens again in the next season. And so we have that, that gift of change of seasons here. Seasons are a wonderful way to teach children about process and to be in process. That's a great point could really use that with a lot of different things that happen in life. So, Katerina, it seems like we're scared of dying, and I know that many of us have a hard time talking about death or talking to those who are dying about their death, and we we sometimes even avoid it, even in the last days or, or weeks. Why do you think we do this? Well... The way I see it is is that we are a culture about having, uh, about always gaining. And life in North America is predominantly about having more. That's what the focus is, like bigger the better. And death is perceived as loss. Death actually reminds us that there's another side to always having more and that we have to let go. And it reminds us that we're not in control. And the cycle that I spoke of earlier, the birth, life, death, and rebirth cycle, that's a mystery. And we can't define it. We can't 
label it and put it in a box because it's a mystery. And so that's disturbing because we can't understand it. And so all the things that we're doing that we think will make us less fearful are actually making us more fearful. So in my opinion, it's only through embracing the mystery, embracing the unknown, that we can traverse the birth, life, and death cycle. And we address our fears as we take each step. And I'm not saying that there's not fear in that, but the big difference is, is, is that we're embracing the fear and trusting, trusting that we can be in it and move through it versus pretending that it's not there and that we have everything under control. Mm-hmm. So we don't, as a, a culture right now, do loss very well. No. Whether it's material things or loss of a job, and, and perhaps it is to change Because we don't have control when there's change. And we want control. We want to know. That's very much characteristics of the masculine archetype. Everything has to be in order. Everything has to be controlled. We have to know. There has to be a plan. We need to know. That's how the masculine archetype deals with fear. In the last 10 years, I know that a lot of childhood educators are noticing the rise in anxiety in our culture, but even with our children. And I'm wondering if that's a big tie to needing control and not being able to let go and see change and see the process. Yeah, I I believe it is, Glenna. That's what I believe. That's what I see in my work and what I experience around me and what I hear when I'm in discussion with people, whether it be clients or just out in the mall and talking to people. That's what I'm hearing in their language. Katerina, have you noticed in yourself that you've been able to let go of things easier? <laughs> That's a really good question, Glenna. I think that being a birth doula has really supported my own growth in that area, my own ability to do that. I am way more comfortable with letting go and not having control and being more flexible because my work demands it of me. I can't work in birth and be rigid and have control and have to know everything. I've had to learn to be comfortable in the unknown. And for myself, I practice that all the time. So I continually put myself in the unknown so that I have to practice walking it, traversing it, experiencing it, facing my fears. And so it's a daily practice for me. Are you yourself, Katerina, scared of dying? I just think that's such a brilliant question because my off-the-top-of-head response is that my greatest fear has always been about getting out of bed each day and facing life. And it's always seemed to me that death would be so much more appealing than dealing with life. But I see now at this point in my life that it is simply my mind creating the illusion that in death I would be free. And my sister who passed over last year and my friend who passed this year were very open uh, to having those deep discussions about death that most people won't have. And in their death processes, they were able to see with clarity that I certainly don't have. 
And through those discussions that we shared, the wisdom that they were gleaning from their processes with me, uh, I really began to see this a lot differently. And I realized, yes, I am afraid of death. If I wasn't, then I would have no fear of life. And if, you know, and so my question to myself is, well, if I can't deal with the deaths of my ideas, my beliefs, my stories, parts of self that no longer serve my path, what illusion am I buying into that makes me think that I'm going to embrace death with open arms when it's the same process? So if letting go of these things in life that prepare us for the ultimate letting go in death, um, how is that going to work? Like, how will that work? If I can't do it in life, how am I going to do it in death? And so to me, life has become the practice. And I, you know, I think working in birth, I've been aware of this because I've also experienced death in birth with my clients. And so I think, you know, I've gradually become more aware of this process. And with my sister's death process, more aware. But it wasn't until this year that I have the clarity that I do now. And and so my commitment to myself is that I'm using every moment of my life to practice letting go so that when the time comes that uh, it's time for me to leave my body and pass from this earth, that I can embrace it with grace, grace because I feel that if I can live with grace, then I can die with grace. Mm, that's a beautiful explanation. You realized it was the fear of death because you, you weren't able to deal as well as you would like with the death of your ideas, your beliefs, your stories, and that really helps me and I'm sure my listeners really connect life with death. Our our here and our now is so connected with our own passing. Mhm. Yes, definitely. The more we're connected with our death, fear will minimize. Definitely. And the more comfortable we become with birth in our culture and with the life process and the death and the rebirth process, the more comfortable we become with that greater cycle, the more comfortable we're going to be with all aspects of that process. And we won't have the fear around birth or death that we have today. I think it's a great philosophy. Even through your life, we can start practicing. We can do something about the fear of our death. We can look at any loss in our life right now, any great change as a practice. Well, Katerina, I'm going to take a quick break for you and our listeners, and we will be back in one minute. Okay, Katerina? Okay, thank you. Perfect. Join Mildred Lynn McDonald for a fascinating tour of the mind-body-spirit connection. Enjoy nourishing conversations, thought-provoking guests, personal growth tools, compassionate guidance, practical tips, plus a generous sprinkling of East Coast humor and warmth. You'll also love our popular roundtable discussions featuring Deb Carousella, Heisey Lutmers, John Carousella, and Mildred Lynn. Airs the first Sunday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. For more information, please go to HealingConversationsWithMildredLynn.com. Welcome back to Watch Your Prescription for Balance. I'm Dr. Glenna Calder, your host, and today we have Katerina Reed, birth doula, and we're discussing the life cycle from birth, life, death, and rebirth. Are you there, Katerina? I'm here. 
I have one question before I continue on. Have you ever heard of a death doula? Yes, yes, and I've just recently heard of death uh, midwives as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that's very fascinating uh, concept because I believe just that as we need support in our birth process, we need support in our death process as well. I agree entirely, and I've just myself heard of that in the last two weeks, that there's death doulas and death midwives, and it makes complete sense with me because sometimes I imagine during the, the transition, it's very hard for us to, to speak up or to maybe if we've got to to be a little bit aggressive about what our needs are or our wants or if we don't want something, to have somebody there support us and help us speak for our wishes and our desires would be invaluable and make the process easier. Yes, I totally agree, just as it does in birth. How do you think, Katerina, we can become more comfortable with death and also help our children become more comfortable with death? I think that before we can help our children, we have to become comfortable ourselves. Because if we're uncomfortable, then our children pick up on that uncomfortableness. So we need to be, uh, first of all, we need to become comfortable with this life cycle. And we need to become comfortable with change and traversing the unknown. And we have to remember that birth and death, uh, that whole life cycle, but birth and death are processes of the feminine archetype and that our culture is greatly influenced by the masculine archetype, which is not process-oriented. The masculine is more about labeling it and putting it in a box and having everything separated nice and neatly and organized. And so for me, learning about the archetypes and my relationship with the feminine and masculine parts of myself, because we all, no matter what gender we are, we all have the masculine and feminine archetypes. And also um, the relationship with my four survival archetypes has been critical for me in learning to traverse the unknown of birth and death. And I find that when we can embrace the unknown and trust ourselves to traverse it, we live it in our lives, and then others, including our children, learn that from us because we're living it. We're comfortable with it. We're talking about it openly. It's not something that's scary. It's part of our conversation. Like one thing that I noticed that came out of um, my friend's process, there was a small group of women um, supporting my friend um, through her process, and some of the women had young children, and the children wanted to know about their friends because they were friends with my friend's children. And so, you know, this little group of women, they would have these incredible conversations around their dinner table about death because their children were curious. And because they were in the process themselves and their close friend in that process, and these children were thinking of their friends being without their mommy, it was bringing up a lot of feelings for them. And so it was a great opportunity for these families to discuss this process together and be open about it. And these children to have a say, not just be told what it is, but to express what they were feeling. And the conversations they had were amazing. These little children were so insightful and had such wisdom because they're actually much closer to those processes than we are because they don't have all the layers and all the stories and ideas and beliefs built up around the processes. What a gift for those children to be able to speak openly about it at such an early age. 
Yes, definitely. So you've mentioned archetypes a few times, and I know you're an archetypal consultant. Would you mind explaining a little bit for our listeners? Just to try to make it really um, simple, because I know that we are on a time limit here, and I could talk for days about it. Um, Archetypes are patterns. They're common patterns that we live out, and patterns that we see around us in our world. And so some of the, like I mentioned, the four survival archetypes. Well, one of the four survival archetypes is the child. And I think anyone who has children or around children is very familiar with the child archetype and can see the characteristics of the child archetype. And everybody has a child archetype. We were all children at one time, and that archetype is still alive and well within us. And, you know, that relationship with our child um, influences our life because I've met people that are are 90 years old and leaving their body, but they are still very much in their child. They never really ever matured. That archetypal pattern never had an opportunity to mature. And so they're patterns. They're patterns that are within all of us. And Every human has four survival patterns, which are the child, the victim, the saboteur, and the prostitute. And right away when in our culture, when we think the word prostitute, we think, oh, that's to do with the sex trade. But there's, that's only a small part of that archetype. That archetype is about power and how we give our power away and how we use our power and abuse our power so, you know, being a sex trade worker is just a small, small part of that archetype. So those four patterns and our relationship with them, um, they run our lives. They have control over us. So often when we think that we're in control and we think that we have choices, when we get into the unknown and we start to get afraid, those four patterns kick in and they come to life because it's like survival time. And we go into these old patterns that we've lived out for years and sometimes family patterns that have been passed down that, we haven't, that we're not aware of and haven't broken. We automatically slip into those patterns and our choice is very limited because we now don't, we're not in our power. We're actually in a disempowered state. So that's when we slip into the shadow side of those archetypes. If we slip into the light side, um, then it's different. Then we're in our power. Is that helpful? Yes, and I'm sure you must tie a little bit of your archetypal consultant work in with your birth doula work. Oh, it is a huge part of my work. Because I can't do it without it because I feel that if I didn't have that understanding of humanity and how everybody has archetypes, uh, if I didn't have that understanding, I wouldn't be able to work with women and help women and their partners prepare as they do for this huge transition in life. And with my friend, um, archetype work was a huge part of supporting her in her process because through the archetypes we were able to see fears and old patterns and old stories and beliefs and ideas that were impeding the journey. And through the archetypes, which is, you know, looking through a different lens, it makes it impersonal. 
And so it's not all about me. It's it's very impersonal way to look at our lives. It's like looking at a drama on a stage. Um, it really helps us see see the illusion and see through it. I know as a birth doula, you've helped me see so many gifts in birth, and you've opened me up to be so much more open. And because of that, I've read a lot of different approaches to birth and uh, the fear we have with birth. Do you feel that we can also gain these gifts through the death process? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. So much. Because if in our culture, even in death, in death presently, like in our culture, even if one is not well supported through death, there's still that opportunity in death for a tremendous healing not necessarily physical healing, because as we all know that not everybody can heal physically, but there's so much uh, more to healing than just the physical body. We think of healing, well, if somebody's died, well, then they didn't heal. But I like how somebody, I don't know who it was, but somebody said we're all born with an expiry date. Like, uh, you know, as soon as we're born, we're starting our, our process towards death because it's it's just the way of the life cycle. So there's opportunities for healing all through the process. And death, because it's such a time of letting go, it offers us tremendous gifts. And for me, you know, and everybody that I've been with in death, but especially this year, this year was so powerful for me uh, with my friend passing. Her gift to me was showing me the way to live and the messages that I gleaned from my friend's process are the same as other people that I've been with in death have shared with me as they, you know, preparing to transition out of their body. But the difference is, is that this year I have seen it so much more clearly than I have before. And the messages are live in the present moment, embrace each day and live it as if it were your last day. Don't put off all the things that you dream of doing in your life. The greatest gift that we can give self and others is unconditional love. And self-forgiveness heals. The only person we ever need to forgive in life is ourselves. If we forgive ourselves, then we forgive other people. That doesn't mean that we condone what they do. When we forgive ourselves and we're, we give unconditional love to ourselves, we can support others and love others unconditionally. And so that's, you know, that's a different, little different way of looking at forgiveness. All those really important and beautiful lessons, how do you feel we can incorporate them more into our life so that we, we live each day to the fullest, we don't put off our dreams? How do you think we can start that, that movement within ourselves? Well, you're hit upon a really important point because it's within ourselves, change can happen within ourselves. We can't change anyone else or anything around us. We can only change ourselves. And yesterday I did a Facebook post and I used, I compared the inner journey to spelunking, uh, which is caving. And I happen to love caving. And I love going deep down in the caves and, and into the darkness and into the dampness and into the earth. Because what I found is, is that it's not scary because there's so much light down there. There's light in that darkness. And many people do not want to go within themselves because they're afraid of their own darkness. 
and they're they're afraid of going into that darkness and so it's it's actually an illusion though we think we're afraid of our darkness but we choose to live from it the majority of the time the majority of our life comes from that darkness so it's it's actually an illusion the truth is is that we're scared of our light and we're scared of the light that we will find within that darkness and I think that speech that was, you know, written by Marianne, Marianne Williamson and that Nelson Mandela read just addresses that so beautifully because his speech was very much about us being afraid of our light. And so we have to find a way to gain some comfort and some trust and confidence in ourselves to be able to start that inner process. And so for me, it's been a very long process. I started out by reading some books, and and then I didn't find that that was really helpful. And then I tried, you know, I tried many other things because what I found was books kept me in my head. It gave me knowledge about the process, but it didn't really take me into the process. I could learn about it, but I was outside of it. And so I think for myself is I had to find ways to get myself into the process. And so for me, challenging myself to step into the unknown and preparing um, to embrace whatever that unknown was is the way that, that I did it. And, of course, learning about my archetypal patterns and, and having support, uh, having a team of people around me to support me in that process was very, very helpful. And so I think the most important thing is we have to be clear of what we want. We have to be clear of our needs, and then we can garner the support that we need. If we try to go within without knowing what it is that we want to do, what our intention is, without a clear intention and without a commitment to the process, because in our culture we commit to the outcome. We want an outcome. We're looking for to be fixed or we want, you know, we focus on some outcome. And if we start the process and we don't see that we're achieving the outcome, we give up. And the feminine archetype is very much about being in the process, not the outcome. The outcome will be what it is. If we stay in the process, we'll have the perfect outcome, whatever it needs to be for that process. It's We have to be very clear about what our intention is and commit to the process and garner the support that we need and stepping into the unknown, little things, you know, taking baby steps, baby, baby steps in traversing the unknown. And then we gain confidence and then we can do something bigger. So I love to climb. So I challenge myself to climb mountains and I just give myself bigger challenges I challenged myself by walking the Camino, going and doing it by myself. And, you know, and so there's all kinds of ways that we can challenge ourselves in the physical world and gain confidence to help us gain trust in ourselves at a physical level so then we can trust ourselves to make that inner journey. Is that helpful? Uh, you've covered it all. <laughs> I love the. I love how you started off by reminding us that it's really the light we're fearful of and not the dark because we think we're fearful of going there into a dark space, but you're right. We often stand in our darkness because we feel safer there than going into the unknown and going into our light. And I think the the two points about 
it's okay to use support. It's okay to use tools like archetypal patterns. Whatever tool seems to fit and to match with us is a mm-hmm. really, really important thing to do that we don't have to do this alone. I was going to say the masculine archetype, one of the characteristics is is that you're on your own. You've got to do it yourself. And it's not, it's not good to have support because then that makes you needy. You've got to do it yourself. You've got to, it's all about yourself. It's all about me. And that's not the feminine. Um, you know, we're an interdependent species. And it's okay to have support. I wouldn't be where I am today without the support that I've had. So when I allow myself to be supported, then I can be my potential. I can be the best that I can be and bring my gifts to the world because I've allowed myself to be supported to be in this place. I couldn't be doing what I'm doing now if I had tried to do it all by myself. Mm. And the importance of the baby steps you mentioned because I think no matter who we are and where we are on this path, there's always a, a baby step that we can take in that direction. Definitely. And one of the best pieces of advice that I was ever given was by Carolyn Miss, um, who is my archetype guru. And um, and the advice she gave me, because I've studied with her and, and have come to know her a little bit, and so I was at a workshop with her, and I approached her with a question, with a concern that I had in my life, and a big step into the unknown for me. And she looked at me and she said, for this weekend, Katerina, she said, just try the idea on. She said, let's put it on. Let's pretend that we're putting on a new set of clothes. And that set of clothes is that idea. And just for the weekend, sit with that costume on and sit in that idea and see what it feels like to be in that place, what it would be like. Start letting your mind go to what it would feel like to be in that place and to be in that unknown and and just how it feels inside yourself. And she said, you don't need to do it all at once. Just take those baby steps. And that's the first step and that was so helpful to me because I'd never had anyone say that to me before it was like if you're going to do it you just got to jump in and do it and but that's the masculine again the feminine is very much it's a process you prepare yourself and you don't have to measure the steps that you take as long as you're moving towards your intention and you're in the process that's what's important time is not a factor beautiful Katerina, you've spent some time with relatives and friends through their dying process. What gifts do you feel that they've received during their transition? Oh, I think the one that comes to mind so clearly, and it's not, this is not intended as a pun, but it's clarity. I see it so uh, clearly that they're given a sense of clarity that we mortal souls don't have because as they transition from their body the veil becomes thinner and thinner for them and so they see the illusion they see the illusion of all that we live in and they see beyond the illusion and so the stories that we believe about ourselves that are not true and cause great pain and suffering they see that they see beyond that and they um, they see how these stories govern our lives, and they see the love and the joy that is right there, but we struggle to access it because of our stories that separate us from that. 
And so when you share the death process with a person who is deeply in their process and really open to sharing what they're experiencing, the learning is just beyond words. You know, people ask me to describe it, and there's no words to describe it. The word beautiful is the best I could come up with, but it doesn't even begin to describe what I experienced. Um, it's, it's such a time of openness, just like in birth. When women are birthing, they're open. There's a very thin veil there when a woman is in birth, and they're so connected to something much greater than us. And so the experience of death is just so rich for opportunity for soul healing. Hmm. You've mentioned to me before, Katerina, when I approached you about coming on this show, that you feel we experience death many times throughout our life. Can you explain what you mean and maybe give us an example of you or when someone you know have experienced this in their life? Yes, yes. As I mentioned earlier, there's a much bigger natural cycle that we're all a part of, and it's universal, and no one is exempt. Uh, we all come, we all come to earth, we're all part of this cycle, and it's the birth, life, death, and rebirth cycle. And when we embrace this cycle, we become aware of how it works in our lives, and it's part of healing and part of health and well-being. The more we embrace this cycle, I believe the most um, the more healthy we can be on all levels, physical, emotional, spiritual, and whatever level there, other level there is that we're not aware of. But in our culture, since we don't embrace change well and we fear change, we're afraid that if we allow something to change, then we're going to lose something. And we don't want that to happen because our culture is about gaining. So then we resist that natural cycle. And the truth is, is that we're in a constant state of change and that death is a healing path. So in our everyday lives, I'm sure many people in your audience are pet owners. And so for owners of pets, when their pet dies, there's a great sadness, there's a great loss, and we grieve the loss of our pets. And for many pet owners, uh, their pets are members of, of their family. And when they pass, there's a tremendous void felt. We feel the loss of their companionship. We feel the loss of their love. But it's way deeper than that. We often love our pets unconditionally, and they return that unconditional love. And we'll forgive our pets, and we have compassion for them, and we honor them in a multitude of ways that we would never, ever consider honoring another human being in. And our pets, they ask for nothing. They have no expectations of us, and they return our love a thousandfold. And so for some humans, that's the only unconditional love they ever give and receive in their life. And we often give our pets what we can't give ourselves. And that is the grief when our pets pass. So the healing comes through giving ourselves what we gave them, filling that void that's been created by their loss with unconditional love for ourselves. So that's one example, a very concrete example in the physical world. Another example, to go a bit deeper, would be that... Everyone 
experiences death through having expectations that have not been met. And I'm sure everybody in your audience has had that experience. So we all have expectations of ourselves and others. And when those expectations aren't met in the way we expect them to be, we experience loss. For an example, I might have an expectation of my spouse to express his love for me in a certain way. So because of my expectation, I might not have even communicated that with him. I just have the expectation. It's all about me. It's all about what I want, what I think, what I need. I haven't taken into consideration that he may not even be able to give that. And so when that is not met, I feel like it's a loss. And the healing that comes from that is letting go of all expectations of how he should love me and instead give myself what I think I need and what I'm looking for in my partner or looking for from my partner. When we practice with expectations, whether they be big or small, these are all deaths in our life and they're all an opportunity to practice not making life about us. And they're an opportunity to love ourselves unconditionally and to heal ourselves and an opportunity for rebirth, whether that rebirth involves actually physically passing from this world or not. The expectation we may put in ourselves early in our life that at this time or this age, I would like to be married. And as that age passes, that it's almost a loss that we have to acknowledge that, okay, my plan did not work out, which teaches us that we don't have control of many things and that there's another force that's planning things for us. And often maybe we can, because we want that goal to be met so bad, we may force things, which we all learn that it's not the best way, that we usually regret that decision. But I think it's all of that as a result of a certain expectation we have. Yes, I definitely agree. Yes. We, may, we create a story. And that story that we create may not be a story that would serve us well on our life path, but we create this story with great pressure from society of what life should be. And then when we can't live it, we, yeah, there's a tremendous loss, definitely. That's a beautiful example. And I'm sure one that many people have experienced in their life. I see that with people in careers as well as relationships. So this has been extremely rich in information. And for our listeners that might want to read a little bit more about death, become more comfortable with the process for ourselves and others, is there any resources you could recommend for our listeners? Yes. Two of my favorite experts on death um, And the reason that I feel they're experts is because they've written extensively on death and their work is around death. They work with people that are dying. So they've experienced the process multiple times and they have written and have talked about the process. And one of those people is uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And she has passed from this world, but her work um, certainly lives on in her writing. She has just brought tremendous insight 
um, to the world around the death process because she saw it as a process and supported many people through the process and was present in the process with them. So I really love her work because it's very process-oriented. And the other person who worked closely with her is David uh, Kessler, and his work is wonderful as well. And I've learned a lot from the two of those uh, those two people, and it has really helped me glean a better understanding of the death process. And um, the other work that I've done is my archetypal work, which has really, really helped me glean a better understanding of the death process as well. And um, it's Carolyn Miss. She does a lot of work around the archetypes, so I would use her as a resource as well. I find the archetypal work fascinating, and I do agree, Carolyn Mesa's work is is fascinating. Her books are are very helpful. So thank you so much, Katerina, for sharing your experiences with us. You have a beautiful gift in reminding us how important these natural cycles are in our life and how to make them less fearful and hopefully resist them less. Even more interestingly is to see the gifts within them. You're definitely a healer. And it gives me peace to know that you found your path and I'm grateful that you're so willing to open yourself up so that you can be a vessel for us to connect with our inner spirit. For our listeners there who would like to read more about you or even contact you, is there a website you could share with us? Definitely. My website is passionateaboutbirth.ca. And there's lots of information on my website and access to my blog from my website. Yes, that's a great resource if people want to know more about myself and the work that I do. Perfect. And to our listeners, Watch a Prescription for Balance is the first Thursday of each month at noon at Atlantic Time. If you have any questions or comments about this show, feel free to comment on my Facebook page, Dr. Glenna Calder, ND. And I would want to thank you again, Katerina. I hope that you'll come back on the show again. It would be my pleasure to join you again. Oh, thank you. And now we're going to end the show with a song by the Wailing Jennies. It's a Canadian band, and the song is called Begin.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.